The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. The DFS Studio is brought to you by DraftKings. Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's February 9th, the final edition of the DFS and Betting Podcast of this season. I'm your host, Kyle Borgannoni, and I'm joined, as always, by Matthew. He's playing for all the Marvel's bets. This is it, dude. One last hurrah before you and I, uh, you know, get a little two-month vacation off work. We're doing, Hibernate. We're doing nothing for the next two months, kicking <laughs> up our feet. Corporate can't tell us what to do. Uh, always a bittersweet time of year, man. I, I love I love the offseason. Um, it's really exciting because we get to, you know, just uh, unwind from everything that happened and actually take a step back and try to wrap our heads around it and how we can improve moving forward. But also... I love this show, man, and I love the season. I love the, the weekly grind of the DFS schedule and all that sort of stuff. I know a lot of people that listen and a lot of people that play love that too, so it's always bittersweet, but one last hurrah, man. We'll try to make someone a million bucks on this show. What do you say? That that would just be, that would mean the world to me if it was a listener, if it was me. More if importantly, if it was me. Let's be honest. Okay. <laughs> all right. Bets and I obviously have a binding contract that anything we say on this podcast if you win money from it, you can just forward that. Uh, I have a great Venmo. I'll, I'll send you later. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's the big game. It's Super Bowl. We're going to talk through this game from a DFS level. So you know, showdown on DraftKings is different than how we usually talk about DFS. So we have a lot of takes. There's a lot of nuance to it. So we can say, I really like this player at the flex position. I will not be playing this player in the captain position, and vice versa. I'll be underweight, overweight. Uh, on this build, I'll, I'll use this player and this other one, I they don't even exist. So we'll go through all of the nuance of that with you. We will prop it like it's hot. And Betts and I will give you a healthy dose of, of our props. And hopefully, at the very end, when we reveal our master parlay, you can ride with us. We've had some good runs and good sweats with the team and the people recently. So yes, it's, it's the final episode of the quote-unquote uh, 2023 season. And then Betts and I just go on a very short hiatus, okay? So Betts and I, our off-season schedule for this podcast is we take a quick break, and then the beginning of April, we come back and we go through the NFL draft from betting and props perspective, the over-under lines. Behind the scenes, Betts and I have already started 
sharing our confidence intervals of what's out there in the market. There's not a ton of props. You know, it's like Caleb Williams to go number one overall at minus 900. You probably don't want to lay that. Uh, but Betts and I are kind of going through and talking about how we feel about these picks, looking at our draft boards. We're also participating in the Dynasty podcast. So our actual prospect evaluation is mixed in with the betting markets. So we'll be doing that for April. In May, we do a lot of team projections and win totals, which is by far the strongest thing we do with this podcast every single year. Those episodes win people a ton of money in season-long projections. June and July, we do the summer of best ball. We have our best ball rankings that come out. And then August, we get you ready for another season of DFS. So my question for you is, what do you do for the next two months, Bets? Like what, what do you personally, this is just a look inside your life. Oh man. What are you looking forward to for the next two months? Like what's, what's on your radar? Well, you see, when you're a dad of two screaming one-year-olds <laughs> that are fully in toddler mode, uh, that's mostly the priority here. My wife has been an absolute saint all season, so I plan to help her out a little bit more over the next couple months when I can. Um, also, I'm looking forward to a little bit of golf when the weather finally does warm mm-hmm. up a bit, down on the course whenever I can. But from a work perspective, like you said, we're really, uh, for you and I, and Dynasty last year for us, the Dynasty podcast, was new, and that didn't really launch until April. So now we actually kind of have a new off-season schedule where you and I are, are seriously like in the weeds on every prospect from their analytical profile to their film, talking about it with one of the ballers on our show, Dynasty Podcast, weekly. So we'll be doing that every week. And I really do think that that is going to help not only listeners this summer when we come back on the show, but also you and I when we kind of think about like forecasting um, the, the, the award markets of Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year, um, how you approach those rookies in best ball. Because sometimes when you see the ADPs in best ball, you're like, yeah, like I know that name. He'll probably go in the third round. Like, sure, why not? But we know every year there's a Jalen, Jalen Tolbert who the analytical prof- profile does not look good on. And we're going to have our heads wrapped around that pretty good as we come back in April, May, and June. So I'm excited just to get down in these rookies, man. It should be an awesome season for the Dynasty Pass, which uh, on Super Bowl Sunday in just a couple days will be out for you to get. Yes, I know for me... I'm looking forward to uh, my son, Truman, who's starting starting baseball, starting t-ball, but he's a lefty. And so, you know, I've been training him since birth when I tied his right arm behind his back and forced him to become a left-hander. Oh, so he throws left-handed. Oh, he's oh he's all man. Southball. All lefty. Dude, this yeah, kid is going to one. Please, someone's going to run with that and say, I really did that and report me. But no, like, he, it is fun teaching someone how to play a sport that like my brain has to think differently because I'm a, I'm a righty. I played shortstop growing up. Like I, so that's not in his future. He's not probably not going to be a left-handed shortstop, but um, <laughs> so I'm excited about that part of the spring. Um, yeah. Doing some house projects. And then, yeah, a lot of this is behind the scenes projection stuff for the ultimate draft kit. Um, yeah. I, I like that side of the, the off season to be more creative. And then Betts and I, we've mentioned this before, but, Every offseason, we do a little book club uh, with uh, people that listen to this podcast, also that want to stay connected on Discord. And this year, the book that we chose is Scorecasting, uh, which is the hidden influences behind how sports are played and games are won. It's by Moskowitz and Wertheim. You can find it on Amazon or wherever else. It's actually an older book, um, but I think it's worth having conversations with people about the behind the scenes stuff with sports and having more nuanced takes. So if you're one of those people who's like, oh, I've already read that book. Well, I'm about to send out probably a list of about four or five others that are on my, that are in my pile 
this offseason. So I've got, I've got a couple, but that's the one that Betts and I are reading together, and I know we'll have some more people. So what could be cooler than an offseason book club with people that just ended their podcast for a couple of weeks? I mean, when kids, you know, when they grow up, they're like, what do you want to be? I would love to be a fantasy football analyst who reads about sports forecasting. I mean, that's what dreams are made of, Kyle. Am I right? Yes. And apparently we only read books that end in casting. A couple years ago, we did super forecasting, which was probably one of my favorite reads we did together. That kind of started this process. That was a great book. If you haven't read super forecasting, Um, we were joking about it beforehand. My wife went to my son's preschool class and they had like kind of a career day. And she's a teacher, so she got to explain, like, here's what I do, here's my name tag, here's how a teacher plans. And I was at dinner with my wife, of course, you know, <laughs> where were we at? <laughs> yeah, I saw this. You should, you should let everyone know about this. This was so good. Obviously at Chili's. I mean, the, I was obviously at Chili's with my wife, but because she texted me and said, hey, you want to go on a date? And I said, ooh, where? And all she sent was that little, you know, red hot pepper chili emoji. And I knew. I was in. So... uh <laughs> What'd you get? It was, what did I get? This is, this is how much I know I love my wife because when we sat there and by the way, people, Chili's, great, great establishment. Also a great bit on this podcast. It is, it can be both things. It, it is can both be, things. I know. And people don't understand that. But um, we were sitting there and she goes, imagine getting something else. That's the way she said it to me. And I was like, I love you. Uh, <laughs> Casey, the explosion salad man with extra dressing on the side and chips and salsa. Can't go wrong. Yeah. No, it was good. But she said at the table, she goes, what would you tell people? Like, at a, like if you went to our son's class, like, what would you say? What would you show them you do? Are you going to print off some spreadsheets? So she roasted me. <laughs> Kyle's going to walk in there and tell all these kids about third downs for running backs and how they mean nothing for fantasy. <laughs> Just really helping shape uh, the future of, of, this, of this world. I mean, if we've learned anything on this podcast, people... Hopefully you've heard me say it over and over again. I I know I have strong takes sometimes, but third downs, come on, don't, don't they don't matter for, for running backs, the, unless you're Christian McCaffrey. In that case, you are awesome. So uh, it'll be a good off season. Um, feel free to message bets on Twitter at Fantasy PT. I'm at Kyle underscore Borg on Twitter. And yes, the Fantasy Footballers team. I mean, we're still producing tons of podcasts every single week. Two on the main show. One of the Dynasty podcasts, a footcast for Foot Clan members. And then, yeah, Betts and I will be coming back in April and staying with you all year long. So let's talk about this uh, apparently really, really, really big game. And here's the drop, Kyle. State of the main slate. Man, I couldn't even find the drop. I feel like I should have been in like peak mode at the very end of the year, but. Here we are. You're already in off-season um, mode. I know. I'm already, I'm already checked out here. Let's talk about, from a top-down perspective about this game, and by the way, on the website, Betts has written up the Vegas report. I wrote a pace of play article that was a joy to drill down on just one game. I mean, we're Betts, we're about to talk for the next like 30-plus minutes about one game, and I feel like we're only going to scratch the surface. Yeah, it, it is pretty wild how you can kind of Talk yourself in and out of not only just different players in the game, but how you see the game going, um, game scripts, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, dude. But I, I feel like when we do have this much time to talk about one game, you really do uncover little bits of information that, you know, on a main slate when we're, we're pushed for time to analyze 12 games or something, 
you know, you, you do miss a, a couple details here and there, but really when you can dive into all the data, think about context around each player, like it really does help. So I'm hopeful that we can uncover some edges. And if you did not read Kyle's pace of play, oh brother, I mean, it's really funny in Slack when you post the article link, it gives you a little description of how long roughly it would take to read the article. Kyle posts it 15 minutes to read one article about one game. So Kyle is a sicko and uh, he's here for you people. I, I am here for you. Quick question though, before we get into the lines and everything else, we got asked this question and I thought it was an appropriate kind of table setter, a little tease, a little icebreaker, you know, as, as I do like to tease. This is from Be a Goldfish on Discord. Ask what our top three Super Bowl apps are. So, do you have do you have a quick quick one a quick couple? I mean, this is probably this is the chalk selection. But how do you watch the Super Bowl without buffalo chicken dip? I mean, that to me is is at the top. That's my number one. So good. Um, I'm also a huge fan of charcuterie boards. And okay. actually, in season, my wife and I—it's really fun. We for the four o'clock slate, we usually make one as kind of like an appetizer. So, uh, charcuterie board for me is up there. Buffalo chicken dip is up there. And I know Mike mentioned his special dip on the main show, so I'm gonna throw that in my, as my third as well because that's a great one uh, to have. Yeah, dips is kind of at the top for me. Like I just I'm fine with that. Um, don't mind wings, but I'm not. I'm not thinking like I have to have. Wings. I want buffalo chicken dip. Number one. I just want to dip as many tortilla chips as possible on that thing. Um, you know, sliders are great. If you have a couple of those sliders, I'm fine with that too. Uh, but man, just give me some pizza and I'm I'm good to go. I'm totally happy. Dip it in some ranch. Uh, I'll be a, be a happy person. But at these days, like going to Super Bowl parties with kids is like, oh, well, we're going to go to like halftime and then we're going to go <laughs> you know, put them down. Like right. it's, it's not as exciting as it used to be. So <laughs> times are changing. Um, I know. All right. So right now the line has pretty much stayed stable at San Francisco minus two. The over under is 47 and a half. Any leans on or any information about how the public's still been betting this because it's kind of been one sided and how you feel about that. Yeah. So I put a lot of the details of what I'm going to talk about in the Vegas report just giving us an idea of, of how I think the general public thinks this game is going to go and then trying to use that for DFS purposes. So basically everything that I'm seeing, no matter what book you track, you know, there are people that are on social media will post this kind of stuff and give you information, but I'm seeing so much money, dude, pour in on KC Moneyline, KC uh, plus two and a half. And the line, like you said, hasn't really moved. I mean, it is bouncing back between one and a half to two, two and a half back to two. So it has kind of matured over the course of the last two weeks. But, and I put this out on Twitter as a poll, just like, hey, what do you guys think? And the results were 68% of KC plus two and, you know, only a fraction of people in on San Francisco to win the game at minus two. So I think a lot of people just think the Chiefs should be favored here. And even last week when we talked, I felt that way. So I'm always hesitant when I see something that, 70% of people agree with because we know these lines are so efficient that the other side, if you just kind of blindly assume that Vegas, you know, when you look at kind of how the, the money works out is correct more often than not, I think 49ers heavy builds on the slate are a great way just from a top level perspective to get contrarian because I do think everyone is like, how can I not play Mahomes this week? Like, oh my gosh, how can I not play Kelsey, a captain this week, right? So there's a lot of love, I think, for Casey just in general in the market but the line is not really moving, so I am very skeptical on that. 
Yeah, I have a hard time. You and I were talking about this behind the scenes, but you know, it's one thing to see public money on the Chiefs, and there's just you know your buddy who's like, oh, of course I'm taking Mahomes and Kelsey, and it, and it's you know Chiefs money line. That's fine. It's another step to then look at this from a we're playing a game that has salary constraints and the wrinkle in it this time is you know you're you know whoever you're playing a captain their salary goes up one and a half. So is that reflected? And at first I was like, ah, oh, bets that, you know, it's still going to be pretty even. People are going to play 49ers, but we're seeing a lot of builds in roster percentage that is reflecting what the betting market's doing, which is a lot of chiefs uh, and a lot of Travis Kelsey, which makes sense. He's been on a roll. We'll talk about him in a second, but a 30% target share in the playoffs is very different than the Travis Kelsey we saw, you know, from week 12 on. So I'm a little hesitant to just go fully in on 49ers, but you and I talk all the time. The way you get different in showdown builds is if you have 4-2 or 5-1 builds. In other words, you have four players from the side that is winning this thing. And although the 49ers are favored, it seems like the public thinks that the Chiefs are a better play as money line plays. So my early take in this game, and I think you and I feel the same, is I'm just going to lean more into builds where the 49ers come out winning this thing. Yeah, and just to speak to kind of what our opponents are going to do when you think about um, 3-3, meaning three Chiefs, three 49ers, or you know, 2-4, 4-2, what have you, the vast, vast majority of lineups on this slate are going to feature one of 3-3 or KC4, San Francisco 2, most likely is kind of what we're seeing. So, and, and you know, in tournaments especially, where you really do just care about the tail end outcomes, not what happens most of the time. What happens just this one time? If the game goes sideways and you think the Chiefs smash, a 5-1 Chiefs build is ultra contrarian. A 49ers 5-1 uh, build is very, very contrarian. Almost no one is doing that. So again, probably not going to happen that many times, but if you simulate this game a thousand times and it happens a handful of times and those times that happen, you have the lineup you will get paid off handsomely. So I'm thinking about that from just the tail end outcomes of, yeah, I'm willing to understand if I don't cash with a contrarian build, that's okay. I'll, I'll take my lumps and we move on to next year. But if it does hit, you'll get paid out massively. So I'm thinking about just how the field's going to play their lineups with that 3-3 build and trying to get off that a little bit uh, as well. Bets and I approach this from a tournament-only perspective. Uh, we don't really play cash. Now, if you're one of those people that play with your friends, or you have a season-long league, there are high floor picks, so we'll kind of mention that. Like, I'm probably going to have Isaiah Pacheco in a lineup if I'm playing that just because the salary, the opportunities, everything else like mixes with that. But you're going to have to get different. And to, just to give you some perspective, last year, sorry, your Eagles lost, but it was a wild Super Bowl that smashed the over. And the winning lineup, I went back in the Willie Maker, the winning lineup was a 4-2 Eagles build with Jalen Hurst's captain stacked with A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Jake Elliott, and then the two Chiefs were Patrick Mahomes and your boy Jody Fortson at $200. <laughs> you could have given me 20 guesses, and I never would have come up with Jody Fortson. <laughs> no, incredible. because you scored as many DK points as him last year. It was about his salary. Yeah, then and so... I bring that up not to say like, oh, we'll just copy that or, you know, you, you find the $200 person. Just get weird, people. Like, it, it's totally fine. Of, of it's, it's the last one of the year. It's the last dance. So make sure you have fun with this. But I think roster construction matters more to me than player takes only. 
And when you construct your roster, you're going with the game flow that says, okay, the 49ers roll or the 49ers come back. And if the 49ers come back, here's the combination of players I need. So for instance, we'll talk about Jawan Jennings. He's 4K, which is actually kind of expensive for the role that he is. So I just can't see Jawan Jennings being a player I have to have at 4K when there's so many other cheap players. But in builds where I have the 49ers coming back and he's on the field more in three wide receiver sets, sure, he makes a ton of sense. And, and you know, maybe he gets a, a, a touchdown somewhere or gets three or four catches and he can pay off. But at 4K, if I compare him to Noah Gray or the Chiefs wide receivers or CEH, it's like, that's pretty expensive. So the context of each player, their cost, how they fit in really matters and how they combine together. Um, so when looking at these two teams, the San Francisco offense, almost every single metric, they show up as just number one, number one in EPA per play, number one in EPA per pass, you know, number one in EPA per rush, play success rate, explosive rush rate. They're awesome. And yet... This Chiefs defense is the best one that we've seen in the Patrick Mahomes era, minus one key statistic, and that's against the run. So I want to start the conversation there when we come back from break, because I think Christian McCaffrey is what you and I would say is the most important part of the slate, and the thing that if you get Christian McCaffrey right, and you figure out how to use him best, then I think you can win this. So let's take a quick break. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. I mean, the anticipation of me building up and then saying, we're going to talk about the best running back on the planet in just a hot second. <laughs> and people are here for it. Um, uh, so let's start with Christian McCaffrey because he's the most expensive player on the slate at 12K. And just to go back, I went through the Super Bowls the last four years. Mahomes was 12K one year. and This is it. McCaffrey, a running back at 12K is insane. Is he worth it on this slate, both as a captain and a flex play to you? He is. And, you know, this is kind of one of those areas where I'm not really looking to get different. Like, Christian McCaffrey's projection is unreal. When you think about the role he's had in the regular season, and then you zoom in on the playoffs, Elijah Mitchell literally only touched the ball against the Lions because McCaffrey fell on his head at the goal line, came out for a couple plays, and Elijah Mitchell fell in the end zone. Otherwise, Christian McCaffrey projects to touch the ball 99% of the time when uh, he's in there, it's the last game of the year. They're not saving him for anything, obviously. 
when you consider his workload projection, you consider the usage in the passing game, you consider his goal line role, and you consider the matchup, as you mentioned, against this KC defense that you can run on. To me, he's just an unbelievable play. And, you know, looking at the season-long numbers when San Francisco has been on an island game, we've had showdowns, he's been rostered a captain roughly 24% of the time, give or take. I think he's end up optimal. You you play this slate, like I said, a thousand times. I think he ends up optimal as the captain more often than that number. So I plan on, and this is going to be a shocker, Kyle, being overweight, Kirsten McCaffrey at huh? captain. I know. Play the best plays. Am I, am I right? Um, it, it just makes so much sense to me because he's proof, I think, in either game script where, yes, if they fall behind, it's not ideal, but he's going to be out there on passing downs. He's going to get work from Brock, Brock Purdy in the passing game. Or if you think that the Niners actually do win this game, he can have a path for 100 rushing yards and two scores, obviously. So, yeah, to me, Christian McCaffrey, you don't overthink it. I think both from a tournament perspective and cash games, um, at captain, I love him. And if you are playing cash games, he is absolutely 100% a lock. Kansas City ranks 28th in EPA per rush. So the matchup says you can play him. Everything about Christian McCaffrey says you can play him. And the way that the 49ers actually run their offense is a lot of 21 and 22 personnel looks. So you're getting two running backs on the field, and that second running back is Kyle Juszczyk. So it's it's a different type of look from what the Kansas City defense has looked at this year. The one thing I will say is that they've limited big plays. And so that's, what I think, kind of the, you know, the, the hardest thing is, like, looking at McCaffrey, you don't really have to worry. Like, the big plays are going to come. The, you know, the volume's also on his side. So you kind of get this combination of, He's obviously have the best touch, best odds to get a touchdown. He's going to see 15 plus touches minimum. And then on top of that, you're going to kind of see him involved in the screen game that and that's another place where Kansas City is kind of weak. So I just I'm with you. Whatever a roster percentage show, I will be above that. And I think captain wise, I think he's going to land somewhere at 25%, but I think he should be like 35%. Yeah, I agree. And that's what I was saying. If you are going to play, you know, a 150 set or a 20 max set and you want to get well overweight, get yourself 40% McCaffrey captain, something like that. You'll have leverage on the field as far as how often you're playing at, at captain versus how often we think the field is going to play him, if that makes sense. What also McCaffrey does is it it forces the Chiefs defense to kind of look at this team and go, well, okay, if I can stop Christian McCaffrey, then I can limit it. But the problem is Brock Purdy has slayed all year in the intermediate and deep layers of the field. So play action pass. I'm giving some football takes here, but like that is where Brock Purdy has been good. And obviously you've seen some really, really bad weeks. Like, listen, there are stats out there that show here's where Brock Purdy could fail this week. He's had some terrible games, especially against Baltimore that you saw. And then he's also had some other games where he's just been on fire. He has been not just a good deep ball passer. I went all the way back to 2006 bets. It was a lot of scrolling, a lot of spreadsheets. He had the highest deep ball completion percentage of any quarterback in the pro football focus era. So like last 25 years or so, he's been awesome. And I think that combination of Christian McCaffrey running the ball, open up play action, and the intermediate to deep layer of the field is where I think they can have success. So there's a reason the 49ers are still favored. There's a reason they're number one in the league in EPA per play. And it's this kind of this combination. So Brock Purdy is not somebody that I'm really excited about and captain because I, I usually lean into, you know, 
the wide receivers that have a PPR ceiling or, in this case, Christian McCaffrey. But I think Brock Purdy might be pooped on a little too much this week. And I'm interested in coming ahead of the field. Yeah, I think he's a really good flex play as leverage. I don't think I'm going to get there at captain. Like you said, there's just there's so many guys on the slate that could beat him at captain. You think about Mahomes on the other side. You think about both running backs and then all the pass catchers, Kelsey, Kittle, Ayuk, uh, Rasheed Rice, uh, Debo. Like those guys could all easily beat Purdy when you think about a ceiling performance. So I'm not going to get there at captain. But in flex, I do think he'll be rostered less often than he is optimal. When you think about, again, especially in large field, if you're playing lower stakes stuff, people know the name Mahomes if they're only kind of playing just this one showdown slate because "Ah, I want to have some skin in the game. Like people are clicking Mahomes instead of Brock Purdy because they know Mahomes. But on top of that, like it just makes so much sense if you want to flip the narrative that's out there that Purdy is, I think everyone assumes Purdy is definitely going to struggle. I think people assume it's going to be ultra heavy, run heavy game script. I think that's what they want to do, San Francisco. But we've seen just so much efficiency from this offense that, you know, over the last two games they've played, it has not looked pretty. But if you zoom out, this is a quarterback we've been excited to play all year long, right? So I want to have that longer term mindset of not just zooming in on the last couple of weeks, but um, playing him probably a little bit more than the field at flex. And if you are going to play him, to me, when you do play him in those scenarios, you stack him with one of his pass catchers or McCaffrey in those San Francisco heavy builds uh, at captain. Yes. Like, I mean, if you have builds where you have Ayuk or Debo as captain, then obviously you want to bring Purdy alongside with him. I like builds where I'm building a game script where the Chiefs get a lead early or even a defensive touchdown early. So you can use Pacheco, you know, as captain, or you can use, um, you know, Pacheco's a flex or the Kansas City defense in the flex. And then you're, playing Ayuk, you're playing Debo in the captain role, and then you're having Purdy saying he's got to get there in the second half, and the volume's kind of increased on his side. So that's the game kind of flow that Betts and I always talk about. It's like you have to write a story, run with it, and you're not going to get it perfect, but at least you're saying, hey, I can see volume on his side, and efficiency's clearly been on his side for most of the year. So, so far, it seems like we're very pro 49ers, um, you know, pro Christian McCaffrey as captain, Purdy and the flex we're, we're good with, maybe a little overweight. Where, where do you want to go next? Uh, let's keep just going with the, the San Francisco side, and then we'll talk Casey after this. Um, All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. You, you're you're in charge, Kyle. I'm, I'm just a guy. You, you go. I, I'm the captain now. <laughs> okay, so let's sort out Debo and Ayuk, because I all year we've kind of been choosing which one is it, and what week is it, and what matchup is it. Because that's kind of how Kyle Shanahan rolls. Like, oh, this is a Debo week, and he schemes it you know, for him. Or one of the players is out, so it's a Kittle week. I've gone back and forth. I started this week saying, oh, this is going to be a Debo week. Because you know, you just look at how he's been used. He's number one among all wide receivers in the playoffs in yards per out run. When they were in the Super Bowl a couple years ago against this team, he had 12 opportunities. He gets those rushing attacks. And I, I like him in that sense. I also like that he has leverage on CMC because he has the rushing role. And we've seen games. Like I had a big week where I was really heavy on Debo and he had an early rushing touchdown. And it kind of negated some of CMC. So I like Debo as leverage, but at 9,200, he's more expensive than Ayuk. So how do you feel about Debo? Yeah, he's really interesting on the slate when you talk about the price because as much as we love Christian McCaffrey, and I'm, I'm going to play a ton of lineups, you know, and just try to kind of have my spots where I pick and choose where I want leverage 
getting a little bit overweight the field and you don't have to get a ton of Debo in your captain spot to get some leverage on the field this week. It's really tough to fit him if you want to play Mahomes and Purdy and uh, McCaffrey, right? Like I think he's just going to get lost in the shuffle because of pricing. And when you think about where these guys are priced, talking about their flex, um, their flex salary, like Debo at 9,200, I can easily see people saying, you know what? I don't want to pay that. Uh, maybe I'll drop down to Brandon Ayuk if I want exposure here. Or I don't want to pay that for Ayuk. I know he's going to go against Legereus Need. I'll get my San Francisco exposure with Kittle, and I'll just save the salary, which he is 6,400, so I do think he is a good value. But when the roster percentage is going to follow that, which I do think it will with Kittle, I think he's a decent fade just because you know in his range of outcomes he can give you 20, which if you're playing him, that's what you're hoping for. But if you fade him, we know he's very capable of giving you two to five DraftKings points anytime he steps on the field. Not to mention, and this is kind of a downplay, and I don't think it's a huge issue, but it is worth pointing out he has been on the injury report with a toe injury the last couple of weeks. Um, so just when the when the roster percentage follows a guy like Kittle, I want to look at his teammates and just say, I'll play those other guys and get massive leverage on him. So that's why I'm attacking the San Francisco pass catchers. Um, and I mentioned last week, and I've still kind of stuck with it, I think it is a big Debo spot. To me, he's just so unique in how they can use him. He's the chess piece that Kyle Shanahan can use to win this game, in my opinion. So I love uh, Debo this week at captain. He's going to be a guy that I plan to get a little bit overweight. And I mentioned you don't have to do a ton. Like if you give yourself 12%, 13% captain Debo exposure, you're going to have leverage on the field because he's easily going to get squeezed here in the spot. If you're playing Debo, does that cause you to play less McCaffrey in the flex in those lineups? Uh, probably, but to be honest, I haven't really built yet. So I don't know what kind of leaves you salary wise, because if you're playing Debo captain, you obviously want Purdy. And then if you play CMC, like you're, you're really going dumpster diving. So to me, it's more of a, I think a leverage play on CMC than anything else. I like Ayuk as another captain spot. He's 8,800 in roles where they're having to come back and you're getting these massive yardage. Like Ayuk leads this slate in route percentage and air yards. We can't forget that. Like the yards per outrun number he put up this year were bananas. And against man coverage, he was 3.8 yards per outrun. I mean, that's like off the charts kind of stuff. So he's been awesome. And I think the narrative that we're seeing in the media is Legereus Sneed was an all pro player and he shut down people. Look at all these stats against wide receiver ones. I get that. The thing in DFS is when you do that, you end up double counting against a player. And so you kind of have to look at roster percentages and say, okay, is the field doing this? And people are playing Ayuk, right? This isn't like, oh, well, we're fading him because of the matchup. So in game scripts where they're coming back, I feel like he's a priority flex to me. And he's worth a captain spot if you want to go that route where you're playing him, you're playing Purdy um, in the flex. And you're also at least adding another pass catcher to just say like the way this offense gets there is multiple touchdowns through the air with Brock Purdy. So I like Ayuk a lot. I I feel like I wanted to come in and say, well, I'm going to pick one or the other. But Debo to me is more of like a game wrecker than like he correlates well with everybody else. Like he's kind of one of those guys that ends up stealing a lot of the valuable points away from Ayuk. So I, I don't think I'll be playing those two together. No, I don't think I would either, especially at their salaries. It's a little cost prohibitive in some ways. And like you said, when you do play a certain guy at captain, you're correlating it and you're saying if Debo has a ceiling game where he is the optimal captain, certainly Ayuk is not having a ceiling game as well, right? We've seen that week after week with this offense. It's kind of a one guy or the other. Um, And sometimes with how much Christian McCaffrey is used, it's 
one of the pass catchers in CMC kind of that get there and no one else does. And that's kind of where I want to lean with Debo. So I'm with you in that front. And I think with Ayuk too, he's a guy that, you know, it, it's kind of a nuanced conversation because I agree the matchup's tough. I personally, we didn't take this as an official prop. I personally took under 63 and a half yards. I do think it is going to be kind of tough sledding, but that's a median outcome that I care about. If I'm playing a captain, yes. I don't care about the 80 times he fails. I want the 20% of the time that he is the dude. So again, you have to think about it that way, not just the meeting outcome. And he has absolutely on this slate, he has a ceiling that's worth chasing. All right, I'll mention Juwan Jennings, and we'll finish up uh, with some of the other guys on their side. But Juwan Jennings, it's just hard. They just don't run three wide receiver sets a lot. He has fewer than two DK points in nine of his last 12 games. And so I just don't see him being a priority play at all for me. I looked this up. He has worse touchdown odds than any of the Kansas City wide receivers who are way cheaper than him. So it's just, to me, it's just too expensive at 4K. So if he beats you? I didn't say <laughs> that I wouldn't, I would play every single player. I don't think I'm going to play. I will. <laughs> Straight up. I will only play him, at, like I said, in 49ers, like, okay, we got to come back. You know, they're down two or three touchdowns and he ends up with a couple of catches, but I just don't see, I just, that's way too expensive. Yep. Definitely. When you can play MVS at 3K. <laughs> That's the guy you need. Um, and then we mentioned Kittle. Uh, we will probably come in a little underweight. We'll talk about him more. Let's talk about defense and kicker because, you know, showdown. We get to. San Francisco's defense, man, the last two games in the playoffs have not been good. Like some negative EPA per play performances against Green Bay. And then Detroit they were really, really bad. Like they gave up some really big plays. Steve Wilkes, their defensive coordinator came out and there was an article on ESPN that was really, really good behind the scenes saying like he ripped them. Like he destroyed them when they watched the film and said like you gave up all of these. And so they vowed, all right, we're going to give a bigger effort. All right. Narrative stuff aside, is San Francisco's defense kind of irrelevant? I mean, they're 4,400. That's a thousand dollars more than KC. I'm finding myself not wanting to use them a ton. I mean, it's just, it's lineup dependent. And this is what we always talk about. You tell yourself a story with the lineup you build. And if you're playing McCaffrey, a captain, and you want to play Purdy, and you want to say they control this game, and you want to do a 4-2 or a 5-1 San Francisco build, throwing them in and saying they control the clock, they have a you know a couple turnovers, they get a couple sacks, whatever, and they're the flex that you need. And they, any of these defenses, truthfully, I'm kind of com- uh, conversation similar with Casey in San Francisco, just depending on how you build. But like at these prices, would you be surprised if eight points from one of these defenses beats MBS or Justin Watson or Noah Gray or CEH? I would not be shocked at all. So I actually kind of like them on this slate because, and we'll talk about how you build certain scenarios, but I like the under in this game. And to me, if the under is hitting, I think there's a somewhat decent chance one of these guys, one of these defenses can end up in the flex. I'm just finding combinations where I get in, you know, either a super cheap guy, like, you know, Richie James or somebody or CH that affords me to get another stud as opposed to it's just there's this four to six K range that is really hard to figure out in showdown because normally we'd be like, all right, well, I have this much salary left over. I need to play this guy. But like between them, the kickers, George Kittle, those kind of guys in there, I'm just like, I don't love their projections. So I'm finding that I don't love San Francisco's defense. They were 26 in pressure rate, which is not what you would think with Nick Bosa and company, but their front is not as imposing as you would think. Kansas City's been really good. 
you know, you remember that Super Bowl a couple years ago against Tampa Bay where it's like, oh, Patrick Mahomes is under pressure. They've really like changed course of like how they're protecting Mahomes and the type of plays. They're not like these long developing plays where he's running around or trying to throw it deep. So a lot of these short area stuff, they're just not getting the sack totals that you would think. And and so I just think I'll be underweight on San Francisco's defense. Now in builds where you're playing McCaffrey as captain, it correlates super well. You can play San Francisco defense. That makes a ton of sense. But um, Jake Moody, shocked that he's more expensive than Harrison Butker. But uh, 5,200, he's kind of just a flex play if this game hits the under, but like a low-end one. I'm not like super excited. Yeah, I, I pretty much echo what you said. I think both kickers are in play, especially with under game scripts. It's just really tough from a salary standpoint. And that's going to keep the roster percentage in check. So this is one way that you can get unique as one of these kickers. Um, but like at five, uh, 5,200 and 5K, it's it's almost like it feels dirty, but the field is going to feel that way, right? And like I said, just if you scroll the, the salaries here and you look at like who's down in that that range, like as soon as you drop below 5K, it's Juwan Jennings, it's MVS, it's Elijah Mitchell. If those guys are not what you need and the combination is like, Kyle use check in a defense or you know a kicker in Kyle's use check or whoever that's cheaper than that that to me is really interesting and just trying to get off these insanely fragile plays that are in that like 2k to 3k range I kind of like Butker <laughs> why'd you say it's so scared <laughs> George Tech man uh here's some Butker um okay let's go to the Kansas City side we'll start off with Mahomes work our way down and then Betts and I, just we went through the San Francisco side, we'll go to Kansas City side, and then we'll also kind of wrap it up and say, here's some game flows, here's what will be overweight on captains and flex, and then uh, we got a question where Betts can reveal who's going to hopefully not beat him on the slate. So talk to me about Mahomes. Yeah, he's another guy that I don't think I'm going to play at captain right now, kind of across different industry projections. I'm seeing anywhere from like 9 to 12% at captain. I don't know, man. This is a guy that certainly any week could have a ceiling performance. So I'm not saying it can't happen. It's just you look at the game logs and you look at how this offense is operated. It really hasn't been there for Mahomes. Um, he has not hit 21 DK points since week seven. He's been Yikes. a guy to me that profiles as more likely to be in the flex than uh, the captain spot. Um, it just, I think, unlikely to hit the 300 yard bonus unlikely to throw for three touchdowns which is crazy to say with a guy like Mahomes but he just has thrown one or two almost every game you know it's not a Lamar where he can break the slate with his legs so I just I don't see a huge ceiling performance for me personally to have him there so I will have no captain Mahomes but I will have him in flex especially if I'm playing someone like uh, you know Kelsey or Rasheed Rice that's kind of where I'm at too it's just you're not getting the massive plays you're getting an accumulator who ends up with, you know, 265 yards. And you look up, you go, how did he get to 265 yards? Like the longest play felt like it was like 25 yards. And that's kind of how you have to do things against the San Francisco defense. Like they run a lot of cover four, which is quarters coverage. And uh, for those at home, basically you end up having to do a lot of underneath stuff, you know, out routes, like underneath option routes, mesh routes. And that's kind of where Rasheed Rice and Kelsey have been living. That's why you've seen a clear distinction between there's two dudes and everybody else in this offense. So it's easy for me to paint a story where Patrick Mahomes is essential in the flex and Rasheed Rice or Kelsey are what you need in the captain spot. And you just kind of 
you know, start off with that stack and you look at this team, you're just not seeing these explosive, like, three touchdown games. Now, I say all that to say I kind of want to make builds where he goes off just <laughs> just to, like, stick it to myself. Just because you, know, you know he realize, can, like, right? Yes, of course he can. Um, so Mahomes is one of those players that I think only makes sense to me if I'm flexing. Now, I, I read you the lineup from last year. No one, I mean, the winning lineup did not have Mahomes stacked anybody but Jody Fortson. So what do I know? Hey, man, it could be, this could be another slate where that happens. Um, it's, it's actually really interesting when you think about kind of when these guys end up in the optimal lineup and kind of how often they're paired with their teammates. But KC is like the perfect example of an offense where that can happen, where, you know, if Kelsey has five for 50 and Rasheed Rice has like six for 60, that might not be enough to land in the optimal, but like Mahomes still throws a couple passes to MBS, one to Watson, one to Blake Bell or, you know, and Pacheco out of the backfield. And like, he just kind of accumulates 250 and two, and it's not the captain, but he's in the flex. Like it certainly can happen. And these offenses where it's so spread out, that's when the quarterback is capable of landing in the flex without a teammate. How often does it happen? I don't think very, but it certainly can, as we saw last year. Yeah, last year it was the Sky Moore and the what Kadarius Tony short little bunny touchdowns right. that uh, that got there. So moving down with the Chiefs, let's talk about Pacheco. Um, Kansas City runs a lot of outside zone stuff, and you look at the matchup and season long stuff. We'll say, "Wow, San Francisco is a defense you don't want to run against." In the playoffs, they have been destroyed. Green Bay, 111 rushing yards in the divisional round, and then the NFC title game, Detroit controlled that game. They probably should have won that game from a game flow, game flow perspective. 182 yards against them. So I think Pacheco at 8K is appropriately priced, and I like him a lot as a flex play. Um, in wins this year, in Chiefs wins, 94 total yards. In losses, 66. So in game scripts where the Chiefs are winning, makes a ton of sense to include him in the flex. How do you feel about him as a captain? Um, I think he's interesting just in the event that you know, if the public is so right, right? If people really think Mahomes and the Chiefs should be favored here and they do... And the under. And the under hits. And, you know, maybe 100 scrimmage yards and a touchdown is really all you need and the game is kind of a snooze fest, which would really stink for Super Bowl parties. Uh, would be good for your captain Pacheco lineups. I think he should be in your pool as a captain. We've seen games... Remember, like, I think it was the Jets game um, halfway through the year. He was an awesome showdown play on that slate as leverage off of his teammates. I could see a similar situation here where it's like, okay, you know, the field is trying to jam in McCaffrey. I think people are really excited to play Travis Kelsey. Uh, we talked about the San Francisco guys. Like, I could easily see Pacheco at captain really get, you know, deflated in roster percentage at captain, especially in small field stuff. Like, he could come in at like six, seven percent. And to me, on this slate, that's really good leverage, I think. Yeah, I can't see him like getting above 10%. Like, Obviously, McCaffrey, like we we go through the captains and go like, okay, who's going to be popular? It's probably going to be McCaffrey, one. Mahomes or Kelsey is going to be two or three. And then from there, you're looking at, you know, who is it going to be next? Like maybe Rice or Ayuk. Um, Purdy is probably going to be further down than he should be um, just because people don't want to play him. But um, Pacheco like is going to end up, I don't know, sixth, seventh, eighth on the list. Yeah, probably. So I, I think there's enough there that in certain game scripts, it makes sense. So we like Pacheco. We like him as a flex play in, in certain, just the opportunities are there. CH is only $1,200. And I feel like CH is one of those players that's lost me money 
in DFS over the years. Lost you money in DFS <laughs> over the years. I think I talked about him as a late round best ball pick this year. Um, I wanted to just write him off, man. Just like, who cares? But at $1,200, if he got 20 scrimmage yards and maybe a reception, maybe that's fine for $1,200. Could be. Yeah, it's hard to say, right, with these kind of fringy guys. It just depends on what the other players do. And like I was kind of mentioning that example of like if Kelsey gives you 5 for 50 and Rasheed Rice is fine but not great. And like it's it's the combination of the higher price guys and like stars and scrubs builds that is optimal. It certainly can work. So he should be in your player pool. I will say seeing him get pushed up somewhere around 20% would not be surprising. And to me, that feels a little rich. Like, I don't know if he's going to be like 12% or 13%. I'd say, hey, let's let's play that. But like 20% for a guy who literally could come out and give you a point feels like somewhat of a, a decent fade to a guy that I probably will try to come in underweight. Yeah, he had eight touches against Miami, but remember they were ahead. It was a game in the cold. Like it made a lot of sense. And then he had a 25-yard run against the Bills. So like you, if you're just box score watching, you can look and like, okay, well, his last four games have been 2.4, four points, 2.6, two points. Like if you got four points from a $1,200 player in showdown, that could work out theoretically if the game hits the under. So that's the only way I'm really using CH is like, okay, it hits the under, it's a gross game environment. They're running out the clock. He gets, instead of getting like two carries, he ends up getting four carries and maybe a reception. And that works. But the Ross percentage is a bit high for a player that, you know, doesn't have a ceiling. I mean, yes, he could fall in the end zone, but um, don't really like him too much. Let's move on to the wide receivers because I think sorting out these guys behind Rishi Rice is the biggest question mark and the biggest roulette of this. So Rishi Rice... I can't say anything negative about him. And I don't want to say anything negative since week 12. He's averaging 9.3 targets, 86 receiving yards per game. He's only 7,600. So he's kind of cheap for a wide receiver one for a team. I know Kelsey is marketed that way. I know that he's priced that way, but like, would you say Rasheed Rice is the wide receiver one on this team? I know the playoffs is different, but like, 7,600 is cheap. Yeah, he's super interesting to me. I actually really like him, and I plan to be overweight, both flex and captain, on Rasheed Rice in this spot, and there's a couple reasons why. One is he's obviously direct leverage off of Travis Kelsey, who I think is going to be a little bit more popular. The other thing is his price makes a lot of stuff work really well, where if you do play him at captain, you know he's not the McCaffrey-level salary. He's not the Mahomes-level salary. That kind of gets cost prohibitive. So you can build some of these more balanced builds, which helps you get off of the fragile guys like CEH or MVS or whoever. So I love him for those two reasons. But when you just look at kind of how he's operated, I know the last couple of weeks it's been like playoff Kelsey has come back and he's been awesome. But if you zoom out on the entire year, especially after week 12 when he kind of became a full uh, route rate player, Rasheed Rice has led the duo of him and Kelsey in you know target share, first read share, all that sort of stuff. And it's like if the field's just going to overreact to kind of the last two games when we have and it's still a small sample, but we have, you know, eight, nine, 10 games on what has happened with this offense and no one's going to play him a captain. Like Rasheed Rice to me is one of the better leverage plays on the slate, especially if you think the chiefs fall behind here and Mahomes does have to increase that pass rate and throw a ton. So uh, I'm very in on Rasheed Rice on the slate. Yeah. He's just, he's been awesome against zone coverage this year. Uh, top four in yards per out run. So that's what I like to see in a wide receiver. And like, I like to see against 
a scheme where you have to do those short area things. And then he has the yak ability that he can actually do something after the catch. So he's, he's just been awesome, man. I, I will say I completely whiffed on him as a prospect and how he would be used because he wasn't used the exact same way uh, in college. So, um, yeah, I think he's a player that I will be at least there at flex. And then in captain, I will probably have a couple of lineups where, you know, you stack them with Mahomes and you move on from there. MVS is the wide receiver two the last two weeks in route participation. MVS also used up all of his good, you know, good mojo. So I don't know, man, this roster percentage is 16%. It's fine, but I don't, I don't, I don't. I just, I just feel like MBS. I already took the under on his receiving yards <laughs> last week. Oh man, Kyle, what was, what was MBS uh, playoff MBS like? And it's, it's, it's the meme of crying at <laughs> just how special it was when you remember these last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, man, it's he's the exact type of archetype where if he's popular, I'll fade him and hope for the best. If he's not popular, yes. you lean into the fact that he's going to be on the field the most of all the other dudes. Like speaking about like. Kadarius Tony and Justin Watson and Richie James, and you just hope for the best, right? Like it's hard to give analysis on him because we know the story. Um, at three K, I think the price is fair relative to the other guys. Sixteen percent, I'll be honest, doesn't feel like a ton. So I get it. And if you do want to include him in your lineups, I think it's totally fine. Just understand kind of what you're hoping for, and you're hoping for one or two catches. One of them's a long play, and hopefully he falls in the end zone. Would be like, you know, the ninetieth percentile outcome. Yeah, I, I like Justin Watson in builds where they're coming back. So at 2,400, um, he has the second highest air yard share on the slate, which is a really fun fact that might not mean anything if they're ahead. So, um, you know, 26% air yard share. It's behind only Ayuk. He's fine too, but I, I he's not one of those plague like, of this game's hitting the under. I'm not probably playing Justin Watson. Um, and then I just, it's so hard because... Kadarius Tony been on his little rants, you know, talking trash. It's like, dude, it's the Super Bowl. Why are you why are you doing this right now? And Andy Reid's like, well, we'll see if he's gonna play. Um, and then, you know, Sky Moore, injury report, Richie James, 13 routes the last two weeks. Uh, tell me about the rest of these jabronis. I didn't even mention McCole Hardman, who sometimes should not see the field. Yeah, it's these guys are just so thin where you're literally hoping that you catch fire and get lucky with a catch or two that happens to go for a good chunk of yards. Um, I think if you are going to look for one guy as leverage off MBS, it's Justin Watson. If you're looking for like, man, I really hope they just scheme him another touch or two close to the goal line. I think it's Michael Hardman, but truthfully, I don't know. He was benched last week. So these are all guys that if you're running a 150 set, especially for really large field stuff, you want them in your pool just in the event that it happens. But man, there's nothing positive really you can say about any of these guys. I, I I have a Richie James, I won't even call it a feeling, but at $400, it makes things make sense. And he is the type of player and his role is that he can kind of replace whatever they're doing with Tony. If they don't trust him, Hardman, if they don't trust him as a short area slot guy, the same way that Sky Moore was supposed to do that too. So I'm just saying right now, kind of like Richie James as a flex play, just because of the salary that he opens up as the cheapest. But I mean... It's a complete dart. I mean, you so, mentioned too, Jody Fortson was in the lineup last year. Like, even if Rishi, uh, Richie James, excuse me, airballs, 
it, it, the combination of like the salary savings plus what you can get to in your lineup might make him optimal. So you need to think about it that way too. Whereas like MBS, Justin Watson, those guys kind of have to do something at their salary, right? To end up optimal. Um, same with CEH. So I, I think it makes a ton of sense. And actually I'm seeing like 4%, 6% somewhere in there. So like in a large field, yeah, why not? I mean, I'm seeing some of them even lower, but you know, the best part about Richie James is that if he fails, you can say, I, I didn't even need it. You know, it's just $4. <laughs> like, and I think he'll be, but if he comes through, he'll be on partner return too, right? So you might get a little, uh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen often, but if it happens, like he's in your lineup. Yeah. And you just correlate him with the DST, get that double TD. Oh, brother. Pacheco, hit the under. You're buying a yacht. I mean, things are looking up. Uh, all right. Let me just, I'll say it out loud then, just so put it out out there in the atmosphere. Pacheco captain with the Richie James Kansas City defense brought along. Okay. So you got three there. You got Mahomes, McCaffrey. And then however else you finish out the lineup, that's up to you. That's just the, hey, I said it, so if it happens, I get to take credit. There you go. Um, all right, we got to move to Kelsey, and then we have to talk about Noah Gray, which, man, a lot higher roster percentage than I thought, but he's cheap. So Travis Kelsey is expensive, right? $10,200 on DK. The target share has been awesome. And San Francisco has kind of been leaky since week 11 against tight end position. 24th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed from week 11 on in the regular season. And Sam Laporta saw 13 targets in the NFC title game. So Travis Kelsey is a player that I personally have always gotten wrong in all formats of fantasy. Let's just be honest. Except for, you know, in best ball, I think there was times where I said, like, I, I'm not going to pay this price. I'm not going to, you know, and I felt good. In showdown, he is a killer. Because if you don't have Kelsey, you're done. I had him, and I was overweight him in the AFC title game, and I felt great about that because he balled out. Tell me what to do, Betts, because Kelsey, <laughs> Kelsey's so hard. I mean, you know what you're getting into, right? If you if you fade him, you know what he can do to you. And it is 100 yards and two touchdowns, and you're done. I will say, my strategy is to be underweight the field. That's not. I'm not saying that's what everyone should do. I will be terrified from start to finish. But when I think about not just can he be the optimal captain, the answer is obviously yes. But at his salary, he's the third most expensive player on the slate, right? He has to be not just – he can't just give you five for 50. He needs to find the end zone. He needs to have a really good game. Obviously, he can do that. But if I'm if I'm the Niners, man, how am I winning this game? I am not letting Travis Kelsey beat me. That's how I would scheme it, and I think that they will. You've got a really good defense over the middle of the field, specifically where Kelsey runs a ton of those routes. Um, so, again, it's a scary fade, but, again, this is all about if you win this kind of one, if your takes hit kind of in one situation, you get paid off in a massive way. That's how I plan to approach it. But, I mean, you can't argue he's been great the last couple of weeks, and it's the playoffs, and Mahomes loves him. So I totally get it, and, you know, I'm going to play a ton of lineups. I'll have a little bit of Kelsey captain, but my overall stance is I plan to be underweight the field. If he ends up being the second most popular captain, then I will probably be underweight. But that is a personal, you know, if everyone's doing it, I'm not going to do it kind of thing. Um, I'm probably going to be at what the field is doing for flex. Um, but it's really hard. Like I probably won't have him in Pacheco lineups, um, or at least underweight in Pacheco lineups. 
thinking that the touchdowns go there, but um, he's a good play. He's just expensive. Yep. That's it. Like, I, I can't can't tell you not to, but I probably won't go there too much in captain. Noah Gray is $1,800. And I came into this week ready to fade Noah Gray, but now I'm at the point now where I, I, I understand his roster percentage. I'm not saying you have to play it, but at 1800 what does he have to do and what is the game script that he has to do? So he's been targeted on 19.5% of his routes in the playoffs. Like that's really, really good. They've done a lot of two tight end sets against Miami when it was really cold and against Buffalo when they had all their linebacker injuries. But, you know, if I told somebody you're getting targeted on almost 20% of your routes, you'd be like, sweet, who's this wide receiver? His name is Noah Gray. So on this on this slate, that's really good. That's third best on the Chiefs, right? Like, that's right there. It's behind Rice, behind Kelsey, and Gray's in a good spot. Um, he's also seeing the type of short area targets that matter. So since week 12, he has 15 targets in the 0-9 to nine ADOT range. That's third behind Rice and Kelsey. So he's being targeted more frequently than MVS, than Watson, these kind of boom-bust players. So I think that there could be somewhat of a floor if they run two tight end sets, but it just kind of depends on the game script. Like if they're behind a ton, you know, do they employ him as this other wide receiver and he's used that way? Or if they're ahead, do they go run heavy and he's kind of there on play action stuff? So at 1800, I feel like the reward outweighs the risk. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And especially... When you talk about these guys that are so fragile, like I just like to compare them to the other guys in the salary range. When you think about Elijah Mitchell, where to mention Justin Watson, Sky Moore, Mikkel Hardman, Kadarius Tony, CEH, like those are the names around him. And would anyone be surprised if if you needed someone in this group, if it would be Noah Gray? I don't think anyone would be shocked by that. And it's not like he's like thirty or forty percent. Like he's gonna be about twenty to twenty four, I think, somewhere in that range, which on this slate I think is manageable. I would rather play him than Justin Watson, I think personally. I'd rather play him than CEH at a similar roster percentage personally. So yeah, I think Noah Gray is is solid as a salary saving option. It's weird to say because usually we'd look at this and go like, okay, this is the backup tight end behind, you know, the slate's like number one priced wide receiver. That's essentially what what Travis Kelsey is. So it's, um, it's a weird spot to be in and, I'm seeing people playing them in captains, you know, four or 5% in, in roster percentage. And you can do some weird, fun stuff, man. I no? I will not be doing that personally. <laughs> you don't want to get weird with Noah Gray? No, dude. I don't want to get weird with Noah Gray. Come on. Uh, it could be fun. <laughs> could be fun. Um, But yeah, I, I, I don't mind the flex right there at 1800. Uh, Kansas City defense, I'm kind of like this week. It's... um. In builds, like we said earlier, that they get ahead early. They've also kind of been unlucky. I've seen a couple people, C.D. Carter of Roto World brought this up too, which I thought was really good. But, you know, they've been a really good defense. Second in pressure rate. They've been, this is the best defense of the Patrick Mahomes era. They're only 25th in turnover percentage. And turnover is one of those things that just kind of even out over time. It's just, you can't really predict it. So I think at 3,400, the fact they're $1,000 cheaper than San Francisco and they been the better defense in the playoffs uh, I kind of like Kansas City and then I kind of like Butker I'll give out reasons more later but uh, any final takes on their defense special teams no I kind of mentioned it with the Niners I think both these defenses should be in your pool just again considering what's around them and if five or six points from a defense is what you need in the optimal makes a ton of sense if you're playing uh, a Chiefs onslaught you should have the KC defense 
if you're playing, I think Pacheco, Captain, they correlate well with him and Flex. So that's where I'll be getting my KC defense exposure. All right, so just to review, the captain's bets that you want to be overweight on are... Christian McCaffrey, Rashi Rice. I'm in. I'm in. Debo Samuel. I think I'm in. Okay, let's do it. And then let's talk about the flex players, because obviously we're going to have exposure to everybody, but who are the flex players that you want to be underweight on? And maybe the best way to do this is Samuel White's question from Discord. Who is best is if he beats me, he beats me. <laughs> Play of the week. I think it's CEH. I think that's the guy for me that 17 to 20% feels a little too much. So I'll be underweight him. Um, Cardi, I already mentioned Juwan Jennings. I just don't think I can get there. I think Kittle, it's a terrifying position to be, but he just he has the lowest target rate when those three have all been in there with Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle. He's seeing the fewest targets, so I'll just hope that he doesn't have that 30-point game and uh, and pray basically and then at captain for me underweight is kelsey i think so kittle's probably the one i feel strongest that i'll be underweight and then i think it's probably gonna be mvs man you know for sure this is the week then that you're off mvs where he just randomly catches that 50 yard bomb and and buries you i'm rooting for him man should be fun like i'm rooting for him and watson <laughs> love love me some justin Watson. um all right all right we're gonna give our vegas picks and just so you know uh, the Ballers gave their picks on Thursday's main show, and they actually asked for ours. And I said, you better listen to the Fantasy Footballers DFS Embedding Podcast if you want our official Vegas picks. So Jason and Mike both took the Chiefs, and uh, Andy took the 49ers in the points. So what, what are you doing? So I'm going to be honest. I have already pe- put in my bet last week as one of the public We'll hit it again. Backers, Chiefs money line. I'm not gonna lie, man. I I think the Niners are the right side. Okay. No, I'm taking the Niners too. I just think I gotta, just think about whatever you cannot go anywhere right now without someone telling you the Chiefs should have been favored. Right? And it, if you just say, you know what, hands up, I'm probably wrong. I'll just do it the books the opposite of, of what everyone's doing at the book, you win more often than not. So Niners, I think, pull out the win. All right, one more section. We're going to go through a ton of props. Prop it like it's hot. All of these props will be available in the DFS Pass. They're right there. Bets published them for you. We gave some props last week, including Brock Purdy's under on his pass attempts, Nicole Hardman's under on his first reception, MBS's under, which I did, and then we talked about some long shot MVP bets and teams to punt. Um, Betts and I will kind of blitz through these really quickly and then he will give a final parlay. But Betts, we just talked 45 minutes about that game. Not shocked, to be honest. All right, hit me with your first one at quarterback. Yes, and just so everyone knows, on the website, you can see all this stuff in written form too if you kind of miss a piece of the puzzle or whatever. Um, The first one for me, I'm going to take the under 21 and a half DraftKings points for Pat Mahomes. Um, That is minus 140, so it's a little juicy. But... This is a line he just hasn't hit. We talked about the fact he's not usually throwing for 300 yards. He hasn't had those three touchdown games. He has been under this mark in 16 of 19 games played this season. I will take the under 21 and a half DraftKings points. At running back, Christian McCaffrey, greatest player on the planet. His first rush attempt line, which you can find on DraftKings Sportsbook, is set at three and a half. I actually asked bets this and did the research myself. But in 18 games this year, that's including the playoffs, 
He has gone over this line in 67% of them. I like the fact that the first couple plays are always scripted for an offense. Kyle Shanahan knows what he's doing. It's also a good matchup. Now, it's the first play, so you could lose your money real quickly on it, but um, you also could be riding high and then just play some in-game you know, stuff and just fire away some flash bets. But Christian McCaffrey, first rush over three and a half yards. Yeah, these ones are fun where you just, uh, you know, you just put your money in on this one thing and then you know as soon as it happens if you're in or out. So the sweat's over. Um, my next prop again, it's a little juicy. I found this at minus 160 on Caesars. It's the total number of San Francisco 49ers to have a rush attempt. And right now, I think this one's crazy. I think four me. and a half is just way too high. I would put it at three and a half because we know there's three locks, in my opinion, in this game. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey, Brock Purdy, and Debo Samuel are going to probably have at least one rush attempt when I'm talking about Debo. So then you say, okay, who is the fourth? Is it Elijah Mitchell? There's been plenty of games where he has no touches, especially in the biggest game of the year. Kyle Shanahan is not going to be incentivized to give him a touch. So I think he's questionable, but I could see it. And then you say, okay, who is the fifth guy? Jawan Jennings? I don't know. Uh, Kyle Juszczyk has had a carry in four of 19 games. Is it Kyle Juszczyk? I don't know. There's just so many outs where this under hits that I know laying minus 160 juice is not fun. But again, I think this line is way off. I would put it at three and a half. At wide receiver, my boy Justin Watson, there's a line for his first quarter receiving yards. It's at three and a half yards. I would take the under on that. It is a lot of juice at minus 180, but Justin Watson has four catches in the first quarter all year long, his last first quarter catch was in November, and we've seen in the playoffs like his route rate has gone down where MVS has kind of been the dude running on two wide receiver sets with Rasheed Rice. So if they come out run heavy, I can't see Justin Watson do that. So I would take the under on his first quarter receiving yards. Yep, I really like that one. All right, next one. Again, another sweat that will be over as soon as the game starts is Rasheed Rice to have a catch on the first drive for Kansas City is yes or no. It's a yes or no market. So it's just, will it happen or not? Will he have one catch on the first drive? The yes is minus 120, which I did take. I think he has at least one on the opening drive. Went back, looked at kind of where he's been as far as if he hits this or not since he became a full-time player. Uh, Since week 13, which is the first time he had a 70-plus percent route rate, he has had at least one catch on the opening drive in six of eight games. So I'm going to take the yes. I think he gets a scripted touch, maybe a screen, something like that on the opening uh, you know, drive of the game, and he has at least one catch. We also have a Debo one about his rushing yards uh, at 16 and a half. Yeah, I ju- it's just inflated, man. Uh, people love the overs. This line has been under, like he's been at usually like 12 and a half, 13 and a half all regular season, so it's inflated. Um, and you also look at like how often he's hit this. It has not been very often at all. His rushing attempts declined in three straight seasons. He's been under this line in 10 to 15 regular season games. It's just way too high of a line for where it should be. Yeah, Debo under 16 and a half rushing yards. I was asked this uh, on Discord, and you can look this up too, Bets, who my favorite semi-long odds are for first touchdown score, which is different than any time touchdown score. Pacheco at plus 650 is kind of interesting for a player that's getting his type of usage, red zone roll. Um, I think that's fine. If you're going real long shot, I mean... Kansas City defense is just wild. Like I said, they've been very unlucky. Your boy Noah Gray at plus 550, or, you know, 5,500. I don't really like playing this market personally. I like any time, but I, I don't like doing the first touchdown score. Yeah, I think Noah Gray is actually super interesting. Um, that price is just crazy. Like, how often does it have to hit for this to be a good bet? 
once every 100 games, right? Like, if, Yeah, if I put $1,000 on it every time. Right, eventually, <laughs> eventually you'll get paid off. Um, obviously, the probability is low, but you're getting paid off with the odds for it. So I think he is actually kind of interesting. All right, I'll give you two more fun ones. Harrison Butker, I talked about him earlier. I like the over of his kicking points at 7.5. It's at minus 115 right now. He's averaging 8 kicking points per game indoors. And that's where this will be played it's a little different when you think about a lot of the outdoor weather, but yeah, kicking indoors, very pro that. And then we got to talk Gatorade, man. That's what people because came I, here for. I think Gatorade, it's interesting because, you know, there's, there's a lot of speculation over the years like, well, do, who know, actually knows this and how can these markets be influenced? Because clearly somebody's making this. Um, last year it was purple, purple hit. Still a favorite right there with blue. Uh, and then yellow greens next. Orange, by the way. Has been pretty popular. It's hit five times in the last, uh, what is that, uh, 20 years. And it was orange in 2020 when Kansas City won. But red, man. What do you think about red? There's some swift, you know, swift connections there. Both teams are red. It's good odds. It also has never happened, right? There's never been red as the winner? No, they've had red. Oh, they have? Okay. Uh, But it hasn't happened very often recently, right? Right, it's actually not been very often. Okay, it's it's due. It's it's due for it to be red. Let's go with red. Yeah, I just you know I just sprinkle a little bit on everything, and then you can just say you won. (laughs) Perfect, great strategy. All right, bets finishes off with a giant parlay that will certainly hit. Okay, this is plus six hundred odds on DraftKings. Be smart with your money. This is for fun, but also this is guaranteed to hit. Christian McCaffrey touchdown anytime is yes. He's had a touchdown in fifteen of eighteen games. We're going to take uh, also McCaffrey, 60-plus rushing yards. He has hit that in 14 of 18 games. We talked about the matchup. It's certainly there. We're going to take the Chiefs, put them up to plus 8.5, so we get a little bit of a buffer there. Uh, keep it within one score, basically. Under 54.5, get the alt total. We're going to fade MVS and Justin Watson, and this is terrifying because whenever this happens, they just go off. We're going to take under 1.5 catches for Watson He's been under this in eight of his last 10 games since Rasheed Rice became a full-time player. And MBS has not had at least 31 yards almost every game this year. He's been under in 14 of 19 of those games. All of them together, plus 600. Yep. So ride with us. It'll be fun. Um, we're grateful for the whole season that you guys got to have fun with us, play some DFS, have a good community at ballersdiscord.com. So that's going to do it. We're going to sign off now, and hopefully when we hear from you next time, you'll be a Millie Maker winner. Dude, that would be so great, man. This has been a really fun season. Thank you to everyone out there for the support all year, for engaging with us on Discord, on social media, and listening. We love you guys. We'll miss you. We'll see you in two months in April for the NFL Draft. Enjoy the Super Bowl. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at thefantasyfootballers.com.